You're listening to Firm Up, the Fermented Food Podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 93, and I am your host, Brandon, with a special guest, Jeffrey Toll. He is a longtime listener, and he is working on a fermentation project, a uh, research project turned book. So welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Well, thanks for having me on. I've really been enjoying your show. Yeah, you are. You're definitely were one of the the original you know, I get a few emails every once in a while when I first started out, but like you were one of like the first people that like really had some detailed information to share and were really reaching out. I mean, I know one of the, it wasn't the first thing that you uh, contacted about on Facebook, but Moyashiman, uh, now I'm doing the pronunciation wrong, Moyashiman, the, yeah. uh, the Japanese fermentation anime? Manga. Manga, sorry. Started as a manga, became an anime, then became live action. Yeah, the live action thing is is kind of a little weird, but um, is this something that you knew about uh, before being into fermentation, or did you find this in your research of fermentation? Uh, Independent. Okay. Uh, In addition to being a fermentation fan, I'm also a comic book fan. And I don't even remember how I came across... Oh, I got Crunchyroll and said, what the heck is this? And was hooked after the Kiviak episode. Yeah, which which everyone should go and and watch this if you haven't yet. You can listen to Alice and I talk about uh, kind of talk through it at one episode. But it's definitely it's I I think I started though with the live action, so it was a little mm-hmm. little different. But I I was like, oh, it kind of draws me in. And plus, you know, let's brew all this. I mean, I'm I'm assuming the translations are a little little odd at times, but it was, it's definitely an interesting show. So thank you for introducing me to that. And you've also introduced me to some other, uh, other stuff. Like what draws you into, um, what got you into fermentation? Uh, permaculture, which I believe I've heard you mention before on your show. Yeah. I mean, it gets talked about a little bit. I mean, it's definitely uh, food and permaculture and everything go together, but maybe for anyone that is listening that hasn't quite caught on to what permaculture is, like, what is it that you focused in in permaculture? And maybe just like a quick, what is permaculture? Fair enough. Uh, permaculture is permanent culture. Uh, it's the idea that if we're going to create a sustainable society to live in, we have to operate by ecological principles. And so, you know, we try to fit things in, in a way that interact and produce us some greater than the whole. Uh, one of those aspects is food. Everything eats, even the plants, you know, a lot of sunlight, nutrients. So, uh, I like to eat and, uh, Sandor Katz's wild fermentation just really kind of kicked me off into the area. It's it's definitely the book that gets. I mean, it's it's the book that got me into it. It's it definitely so compared to knowing that you do um, you enjoy like I do digging into the uh, research papers, learning more of the science behind this kind of stuff. What did you think once Sandor Katz came out with the art of fermentation? Was that your kind of book? Almost. Oh. Um, I really loved his uh, energy in the book. The you know, his descriptions, his personal, his personal life in firm, firm, in fermentation, fermaculture. <laughs> uh, but um, honestly, I had trouble with his instructions, if you will. Um, coming from a little background, I haven't even made much in the way of bread. Uh, 
it was a big step for me to jump into this and his recipes are easy enough, but they didn't give me that foothold that I really felt that I needed. So I tried a few things, got my foot in the door and then started looking up some more things and realizing the, not just all the culture that's involved with fermentation, but all the science as well. And as I started to get more into the science behind fermentation, uh, I still there are still a lot of ferments that I haven't tried, but I am much, much more confident that I'll be able to do them, having seen the flow of the way so many ferments work. No, and I think that's an interesting uh, way of, of looking at things, because I know a lot of people come into fermentation or or food or just any kind of interest in, in a more hands-on, like, let's dive right in. Let's just start making stuff. Let's start chopping up the vegetables. Let's start uh, making koji, making miso, doing all this kind of stuff. Whereas it sounds like you focus a little bit more, like myself in a lot of ways, on starting with the research, really understanding what it is that's going on. What is it that draws you in that direction as opposed to jumping right in blindly and just kind of following along with uh, Sander Katz's kind of, uh, um, you know, relaxed instructions? Uh, <clears throat> mostly it's my my learning, if you will. I have a hard time going from reading to hands-on if you show me how to do it zip i've got it but if i have to go from what i've read to practical application of it that's just not me i can do it and i work my way through it but it's hard i still haven't tackled koji for that reason (laughs) but uh the intellectual end of things the more familiar with it i am the the more I understand the pattern behind it, the more I feel confident that I can try to do it. And see, that's just so fascinating to me because like some people feel so much more comfortable just even if they're not going to do it right. They feel so much more comfortable just diving right in and trying it. Whereas like some of those same people would be lost in the scientific research and would be so much more confused and so much more turned off. And, and I find that a lot of times, um, I really personally am drawn into understanding more, understanding how these microbes work. And it just, it's easy, it's so much easier to make connections and, and light bulbs start going off. And it's like, oh, I can try this. I can do this. I can do that. And have you had any of those connections? Do you get, uh, even though you maybe haven't tried doing Koji, you've done a lot of research on Koji, at least it seems that way. I mean, and then connecting it with other styles of ferments. In the end, I mean, do the ferments, are you able to categorize them into certain major sections or is it all start to look the same after a while? Oh my gosh. That is, that's one of the biggest problems I've got with my project right now is how do you organize all this stuff? Um, yeah, especially since you've got all of the intermediates, uh, like just miso. Well, that's not one ferment. That's actually two, at least two ferments, if not three ferments along the way. And so one ferment blends into the other, into a third. And wine is no longer a simple issue for me anymore. What, cha- what changed with wine? Because, I mean, most people would think it's like turn the, the, the sugars in the grape into alcohol. Well, that's the basic idea, but... <clears throat> The main yeast we use is Saccharomyces, 
and that's fine. You get a you get a fair wine out of that, from what I understand. Uh, but in actuality, there are a lot of other yeasts. There are lactobacilli that are involved in a lot of fermentations around the world that add these subtle little flavors to it. Uh, there are the effects of the material that you store it in and the chemical reactions. And uh, there's uh, one of the more recent topics that I've started to look into is uh, you instead of free-floating yeast, uh, yeast immobilized on little particulates. And apparently just immobilizing the yeast takes a basic yeast and makes it into a super yeast. It's all very uh, yeast floors which are a kind of a, a surface film. It's overwhelming. So is that something that's easy enough to grasp? I mean, so immobilizing yeast, what, is, what does that mean? Like what, what's going on when you're mobilizing the yeast to turn into these super powerful yeast? Well, that's, that's actually one of the simplest things. Uh, what they did, they took uh, something as simple as pieces of dried apple, put it into a yeast culture, let it sit there for a few days. Then they took it out. I think they just dehydrated it at a low temperature. And when they were ready to start up a, a wine ferment, instead of putting a yeast culture in, they threw these pieces of apple in there. And it fermented. And then they, took, they filtered off the apple pieces, just like you would a regular must. And they used them again. And they used them again. And they used them again. Uh, the article I said, they'd been through 20 cycles of using these same pieces of apple. And the ferment was going just fine. On top of that, they found out that you could ferment at a very low temperature. Uh, and using just the same basic yeast, something in being immobilized in that piece of apple or wood chip or alginate gel protected them from the lower temperatures and still they created a higher alcohol level in the alcohol and overall better flavors. Well, because that's sometimes I hear the part about the, the higher alcohol. That's sometimes the argument for, for <clears throat> doing and making alcohol, alcohol, alcoholic beverages in the fashion that it's generally made in the industry today is because the higher alcohol contents that are available as opposed to spontaneous fermentation. It sounds like in a lot of ways, this is very similar to the, say like the, the hard apple ciders that I will make. Even if, you know, if I'm pressing the apples fresh, that's one thing, but if I don't have that, uh, and, and, you know, I, technically I don't even think in Wisconsin, unpasteurized apple cider can be sold. So if I'm using a pasteurized apple juice, I can add the apple, the fresh apples in there to get the wild yeast in there. Is there something different with the drying process? Like, am I missing something there? Like can it, or is it mainly I do that process? I add the apple pieces into my apple juice in essence, and then um, ferment that way. Or are you talking about still using grapes? I guess that's the other part. Is it, is it grapes or is it mainly the, the mash part just continually to keep reusing that kind of like a sourdough? Uh, that's uh, it's the latter. It seems to be. And now I haven't read, I've started to collect a number of articles and I haven't read through them real carefully yet, but we're talking the apple pieces or the little wood chips or whatever. We're talking a basic grape wine here uh and you 
filter when you you decant presumably when you decant off and you're left with the apple chunks and the must then you filter the apple chunks out of the must and reuse them um it just it appears that it gives the yeast some place to live in and that seems to be really important to yeast uh I think you're seeing a similar sort of thing with uh, what they call the yeast floor, which is when you get this yeast film. And it's the Saccharomyces yeast, but it forms a film over the wine. And again, they're getting that place to live. Uh, you see it in, uh, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what you see in kombucha and kefir as well. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because it's not like the from my experience, the SCOBY isn't absolutely necessary. It's usually the thing that people are drawn to with the, with the SCOBY being the thing, but it does make it more resilient and, um, and work better. It's going to build that no matter what, but mm-hmm. to have that place to live, that makes sense because I'm always like, well, I kind of want to push and maybe not use the SCOBYs and just use, I want to see how long I can push just using the kombucha beverage as a backslopping method. Mm-hmm. But I like that idea of, that that scoby that's that thing that i was missing is like it's that place to live and that mm-hmm. makes sense and i just read i don't have the reference handy but i just read an article found an article where for instance if you think about wine in the wooden caskets well those wooden those wooden walls are a great place you would think for the yeast to mobilize on and that's probably part of what's happening there as that 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 aging process. But on top of that, they uh, did a study recently where they looked at the curing of the wood that you use in wine and found out, hey, you know, this is not a sterile process. There are um, wood lignin consuming or cellulose consuming uh, fungi that develop in small amounts in the wood staving. uh, Really? Yeah. And that, in turn, when you take it and use that barrel for the wine, actually modifies the flavor of the wine slightly, the volatiles that are coming off. So I think you're getting a little bit of a, a, a fungal effect there. Like I say, one ferment flows into another ferment, and pretty soon you're not sure where you are anymore. So we are, in some ways, it sounds like, still in our infancy of understanding of everything that's that's going on here. I mean, it's like we're we're no longer thinking that the, these alcoholic beverages are gifts from the gods, but still we're missing some key parts that sound like they're coming up. But I mean, what are we going to find and continue to find out over time? Yep. And then you take it backwards, which is another thing that fascinates me. You take some of this knowledge that you have of fermentation backwards and you look at archaeology, you look at history, and you start to say, oh, wait a second, this is fermentation. I know what this process is. Um, there are, uh, there's a, an era in the Middle East called the Natufian period, which was something like 6,000 to 10,000 years ago. And they found uh, these, in, a, in caves, they found these pits where the archaeologists have speculated that they were storing grain. But more than that, the, uh, the grain pits were a very odd size. They were deep and narrow. And 
So it's an article called What's, What Was Brewing in the Natufian Era, I believe. And they concluded that the configuration of these pits is actually appropriate for uh, wine or beer ferment, probably grain fermentation, in that the narrow body allows it to, gen- to build up a carbon dioxide head at the top of the pit with a little bit of a covering that keeps the uh, fermentation process uh, anaerobic and minimizes the conversion into vinegar. So you're saying we don't, we don't need all these fancy stainless steel vats and different stuff brewing apparatus? Not particularly, but it's one reason, for instance, I, I strongly suspect that, you know, wine bottles, they have the long, the narrow fluted neck. Well, that's because that helps maintain that carbon dioxide layer in the neck and keeping oxygen from getting in as readily, as opposed to having a juice bottle, you know, with the wide open neck. And so with, with alcohol, that makes a lot of sense. There's would be, you know, money in the industry to, um, to back research, but then you do some research on different, um, indigenous foods as well. Where does, uh, what's the motivation for some of this research? That's mostly anthropological. Okay. Um, a lot of what I have found is in a wonderful journal called the, uh, journal of, the Indi- Indian Journal of Indigenous Knowledge, I believe, or just in Journal of Indigenous Knowledge. It's open access on the web. And these are Indian anthropologists who are going out to the most primitive regions in uh, India, mostly in the north uh, east India. And they're finding out what kinds of agricultural techniques do they use? What kind of animal husbandry do they use? What kind of food preparation and fermentation do they use? So I've actually gotten dozens of articles just from that journal itself. And some of that is I've been pulling out the information from that, and that's going into my project that I'm working on. And is it something that is more intriguing, interesting, or is are there aspects to this that you'll be able to apply to uh, your your writing process? I mean, will it be something that people can can use in their fermentation or permaculture approach? Um, <clears throat> that is something I'm still kind of working out. Uh, by having all of that, I've actually been able to um, consolidate the basic principle behind a couple of different fermentations, especially what I tend to call the apong style or the sake or um, a couple of others, but it's the Southeast Asian way of making alcohol, which is molding the grain first and then uh, taking the, then letting the uh, saccharomyces, wild saccharomyces ferment the sugars liberated by the mold into alcohol. And when you read through the articles and you read through the uh, traditional methods of making it, you realize that there are a, uh, a, just a couple, there are actually variations on a central technique. And so I'm trying to kind of get at that. The problem is, is we can get some starters over here that are produced commercially, but is this the sort of thing that we can get a wild ferment? Can we get our, as they say in some articles, can we get our own North American terroir in 
the mold ferment. And that's something I haven't figured out, but I've been doing a little research into into that and how we where we might be able to source out some starters in North America, for instance. Yeah, I mean, and I think that there's um, there's definitely got to be something to that. And I'm also curious about that kind of stuff because I I am kind of drawn to at least starting with a, a spontaneous fermentation and and you know using something backstopping with things maybe. But there's just something. It's probably just a romantic ideal of mine to like lean towards these unknown aspects of fermentation using that terroir to our advantage. I mean, and I know David Chang has done some with that, like he was able to let meat and different things rot and he was able to get his own, um, aspergillus, um, safe aspergillus, um, strain from Mm -hmm. the rotting meat. And so like there's definitely gotta be a lot of possibility now with your, with your book, is this something, are you diving into those aspects or how would you really describe your, your project? What I am trying to put together is not a cookbook per se. I'm planning to have a, probably a couple of recipes in there. But what I'm actually trying to put together is a methods book where I've gone to, you know, like old American cookbooks or I've gone to uh, Croatian cookbooks or I've gone to all these journal articles and where they give a method for the ferment, you know, do this, do this, do this. I'm trying to take those, some of those methods, uh, kind of put them in a, in a, an easy to follow standardized format and then, uh, throw in additional, take the other additional information I can find on, for instance, what species of microbes are known to be involved in these ferments, uh, what temperatures, how much time does it take, things like that. And then, of course, all the references that apply to it. So that when you open up the book to a particular method, you'll be able to, hopefully, if you can get hold of a starter, you can follow that method, and you've got a pretty good chance of reproducing it. And keeping in mind that a lot of the methods actually come from a lab, which might or might not involve a little bit more of a pure strain culture. But I'm also, we'll have a section on that because a lot of these, there is a, there's a a fermentation step where you build up your, your culture and then you take it, you take part of that and use it in your ferment a lot like sourdough you have that sourdough starter going and going and maybe a couple of generations, but you pull out a little bit of that, mix it in a slightly different way to make your bread or to make your kvass. So would you say that this, this book is for, for the serious fermenter? Like it's not necessarily for beginners or is it going to be broad reaching as long as someone maybe has a little bit more of a methodical science uh, bent to their interest? If things go well with it, My, uh, my, my aim is that it'll be for the somewhat serious fermenter in terms of actually applying the techniques. Once you get the handle on them, that's easy. But it'd have, if you have no one to teach you how to do, how to mold the rice and, you know, get the alcohol out of that, this will be a pretty good, this will be a pretty good step by step that you can feel fairly confident to try. But 
you know, it's going to be a little bit more than throwing a couple of uh, pieces of cabbage into uh, salted water, although that would be in there too. Um, however, are you familiar with a book called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon? Yes. One of the things I really liked about that book, and I loved that book for many years, were all of her sidebars of information. Uh, to me, those sidebars of information were maybe even more interesting than the book itself. And so the other part of my book project is the sidebar information. Uh, so that even if you have no interest whatsoever in actually doing a ferment yourself, you should be able to take this book and find all sorts of fascinating information on, fermenti on fermentation, the effects of fermented foods on health, uh, the types of uh, chemicals that uh, you know probiotics produce, that sort of thing. Uh, part of my goal there. So even if you're even if you're not ready to go into the kitchen and try a ferment, if you're kind of interested, it makes it could make some good reading material as well. Does that help? Definitely. And is this going to be full on, uh, say, text or textbook? Or will there also be images to go along with it? Or will it be more textbook format where the, the kind of how the, the the color photos are in the center insert section? Or how's how's the format of the book? Have you thought that far into it? At this point, uh, I pro. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot in the way of illustrations, at least as far as the ferments themselves go, uh, mainly because that would involve a lot of permissions that I don't necessarily think are needed for this. However, just to make it a, to lighten it up a little bit, I am looking, I've got an acquaintance of mine whom I think can do um, uh, little microbe illustrations, uh, kind of Moyashiman style. And I'm kind of hoping to do little bottom bars occasionally, which would describe different microbes and hopefully have uh, little cartoon icons for the different kinds of microbes involved in ferment. So would not be a lot of illustration, but I'm hoping to be able to throw a few in there. So anyone that's been like listening to this and is like, whoa, this sounds like it's going to be a really intense book way over my head. If nothing else, they'll be able to draw, be drawn in those, those little, uh, cute Mayashiman style characters. We'll just draw them in and make them want to learn more. Absolutely. And then there's the whole plush doll market. After <laughs> yes, that. Exactly. You, you have to have that. Um, and so, uh, you're, you, you have this project. And as far as I understand, you're also looking for someone to collaborate on uh, at least part of this. What is it that you're looking for someone? What 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 are you hoping to um, to find that what would they be helping with? Well, as you just pointed out, it can, from my description, it can sound like kind of an overwhelming book to the casual fermenter. Uh, and that's my way of looking at things. And I don't, you know, I have no argument against that. What I'm hoping to do is to get a collaborator or two who can help me mostly with the sidebar information to go through the materials that we've got and pull out information that uh, the wider public would find interesting. Uh, 
there's a lot of stuff that I would find interesting, but honestly, I've mentioned some of it to people and I've seen their eyes glaze over. So I want, if you will, that, that more humanizing element in there and having a couple of different viewpoints, I think will help with that. So, so you're looking for a human collaborator, if I got that right, then? The human would be helpful, yes. Okay. Someone, someone that can, you know, maybe um, that it can get so excited about this kind of stuff and, and is able to then translate it. So yeah. um, that, that sounds good. And it sounds like, so just as, as I was hearing you at the beginning describe the project and the structure of the book, it really, am I getting it right? If someone is opening up this book, it's going to be maybe... Some people will be uh, referring to it more as a, as a reference manual and kind of just opening it up to go to specific sections. But once they have followed through the, the system, the method laid out for a specific ferment, they should feel pretty comfortable then jumping to other ones because they will understand how it, uh, as in, I guess, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. So instead of say like a book that maybe has a lot of different methods and, um, or, or recipes that maybe use different kinds of styles and different stuff like that, like you would be very succinct in, in kind of bringing all of this information together from all of this different, sometimes scientific research, sometimes, um, anthropological research and synthesizing it so that the structure is the same from method to method, like obviously different, different actual steps involved, but if someone feels comfortable doing one of the things, they should feel comfortable doing others. Is that a good estimate or did I totally mix things up? No, I think you've got that pretty right. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Um, I work, my professional work is in, uh, actually in analytical chemistry. And one of the things that drives me nuts there is they give you a method and it's this dense paragraph of do this, do this, add this, uh, you know, in this amount, that sort of thing. And I've never liked that. For me, instruction should be, you know, each step, uh, step, step, step. If nothing else, so you don't lose pla- your place in, in the process. Um, you've seen cookbooks where some cookbooks, they, they shove it all into one paragraph and expect you to follow it and not miss the step where you're supposed to add the extra quarter teaspoon of salt. Uh, but the other ones, the ones I like much more, are the ones that say, you know, that have step one, step two, step three. And this is definitely going with the step one, step two, step three. In fact, um, in the format I've got right now, uh, they actually are, the steps are actually numbered. And for instance, if you have to repeat a step, you know, sometimes you have to repeat a step to build up a little bit more of the ferment, it tells you. Go back to step three and do it again. So anybody anybody should be able to follow the instructions as long as they can gather up, you know, the few odds and ends that they need. Some of the instructions are going to be a little bit more geared towards what was done in the lab because that's where the method came from. But others were done out in the woods in uh, northeast India. So it's going to vary a lot, but the level of instruction will be the same. And so when the ones that are maybe a little bit more of a laboratory approach, will there then be 
possibility? Like, I mean, when we're talking laboratory, are we talking about needing a lot of equipment or needing to be uh, more stringent with uh, the the method and following protocol and keeping things maybe sterilized? Like, is this something that, say, someone that has their own little home lab and, and wants to really seriously approach some of these things and, and learn from them, is it something they can do at home still? Like, is that kind of the idea? Most of the methods that I've that I've got right now that I would be putting in the book are something that if you can set up your uh, home microbiology lab, which is still something I have to work out as far as the starter section of this goes, whether that's, I'm going to give enough information in the book for that, or if it's going to have to be a separate book, or if I'm just going to have to find a really good do-it-yourself microbiology textbook out there and say, here's what I've, here's the basics go look at this book and set up your own home lab. Haven't figured that out yet, but most of the methods are not that tricky. If you can make the culture media, if you can, uh, yeah, you've got your big uh, pressure cooker and can sterilize the media. Yeah. You should, none of these are terribly complicated. It's just the lab ones just require being a little more careful working with, uh, single culture, which is good because then if you want to propagate these out, you find an interesting microbe or whatever, you reverse the techniques. You isolate them, you propagate them pure, and then bring them into your ferment occasionally to keep them robust. Well, and, and for anyone that's like listening to this and still thinking like, whoa, this is like uh, intense. I mean, I think that it's very doable. And I think there, there's probably a lot of people listening to the show that are like, yes, this is the kind of book that I want because it's not something that is really available at this point. And I kind of com- would compare it to a bit of the world of uh, mushroom growing, home mushroom growing. They're using flow hoods and, uh, you know, having to have a, a very clean environment, a, a mini laboratory of sorts in order to be able to, uh, to propagate spores long-term. I mean, so it, there are different realms of home, hobby, um, small business, people that I think would be very much so drawn to this kind of literature. And it is something, have you run into anything? Is there anything somewhat similar, like things that are close to being what you want, but, or is this really something totally new in the fermentation space there i've come across uh, a few books um i think you've mentioned a couple on like for instance alcohol brewing uh that are very you know very textbook very thorough going through the various aspects of the microbes and how to culture them and how to keep them going and that sort of thing uh what i haven't come across and this may not do it either, but I haven't really come across something that covers the um, kind of technical end of keeping your cultures going, be it just, you know, keeping your sourdough starter going, passing it on to your kids or, um, you know, maintaining uh, cultures and then freezing them or whatever, but combining that with the, the list of methods, I, can't say I've actually come across anything quite like that, or I probably wouldn't be trying to do this. Yeah, you've taken on a, a, a huge project. And I think I'm really hoping that maybe someone will, will latch on to this idea and really want to uh, to jump on and, and help you with this. And so if someone does want um, to offer some assistance or uh, collaborate, how should they get in contact with you? 
they can get in contact with me through my email, which I'll spell it out. It's G T O L L E zero seven zero nine at W O W W A Y dot com. GTOL0709 at Huawei.com. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes too, so people can always uh, click through to that if they would like. Thank and, you. and if, um, is there maybe anything in, in closing that you would like to maybe either get people more inspired, maybe people that, that haven't really explored this different aspect that of, of all these other things that are out there for fermentation. Do you have any, any suggestions on until your book comes out where to, where to go? Where should, how, how do you do this? Where do you go out to learn all this stuff? What I've been doing a lot of, uh, I already mentioned, and I'll see if I can send that information to you on like the Indian journal so that you can add that to the notes. But mostly what I've, been doing is going out to the the science journals or the uh, like I say the foreign or the older cookbooks in the library and the thing with the science journals is more and more becoming open access nowadays and a lot of them they may not the, the newest issues may not be open access but if you go back about a year and a half quite often everything or most of the articles from a year and a half back will be open access. Uh, the uh, I can't remember. There's a, a brewing, a national brewing or international brewing society, and they do a journal, and all of their articles are open access. So it's a matter of basically searching journal microbiology a lot on Google, and then when you come across a journal that looks like it might be of interest, just going through and seeing if they'll let you open up the articles and download them. And well, and if anyone is so wanting to just dive in and learn a lot about what you've already got, the best way that they could probably do that is just collaborate with you because um, you have a lot of information. And so I think someone that's really intrigued with this kind of stuff should totally jump on this project. Sounds like a good idea to me. Yes. I can really use the help. Uh, I can do the, the basic, the, like I say, the basic methods. I'm working on that um, right now. I, I'm, in the current, I'm in the process of reorganizing what I've got, but I think I had I figured out it was roughly 18 different categories of fermentation with, I was trying to get a minimum of 10 method fermentation methods in each category. So, and that's just, that's just going through my first box of of photocopied articles or printed out articles. I've got like four other boxes and recently I pretty much stopped trying to print out the articles and I've just collected even more articles just electronically. So I'm figuring that if this goes well, we can get at least four volumes out of this at 200 methods a piece. So this is really like encyclopedic. I mean, it's like, a, I think like physician desk references, um, you know, like the, the thick things people can really dive into. And I think that that's great because there's so much 
that is out there that's that is more than vegetable fermentation and that's kind of what this show is all about is to try and get people motivated to do other things but so many times the show ends up becoming something about more of the the mainstream things just because that's what people people know and and there there is there's so much more out there and and animal feed as you yourself pointed out animal feed big area uh mainly because people are very willing to say hey let's ferment this and feed it to the animal because if we kill them Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing well with humans as much. It doesn't seem, but uh, but yeah, I mean, with the ani- yeah, with the animal feed. I mean, it's like you um, shared some information with that too. It's like there is so much more out there than you know, just skimming the surface. Like I come across something, and then it's it intrigues me, and then there's just a rabbit hole to go down in every single everywhere. So there's so many fermentation rabbits out there. It's not funny, and. As proof of that, I just wanted to share with you a couple of articles that I found recently. Uh, And it's just part of the problem with fermentation is exploring fermentation is where do you say, I've gone far enough afield. Uh, One item that I found that is not far afield was a recent article in the Journal of Food Science a novel bread-making process using salt-stressed baker's yeast. Um, this is something I know you make your own bread. I figured this would you'd find this uh, very simple to do and potentially very helpful. They uh, Obviously, like wine, bread is very well-researched, but there's still a huge amount out there being studied. And one of the things they have found is that if you add glycerol, to your bread dough, you can make a bread that is a little bit softer, a little bit uh, less uh, stales, a little bit, bit less readily. And while glycerol is actually a perfectly normal, biologically produced compound in a lot of cases, some people feel a little hesitant about that. And it's one more expensive ingredient to add to your bread if you're a commercial maker. What these people did, though, they know that they they knew from experience that stressed yeasts sometimes produce glycerol themselves. So all they did was they took their uh, they made up their yeast starter, and they added once the yeast was started and was beginning its ferment in the starter, which you have to do with a lot of breads anyway. they added a, according to my calculation, 8.8% brine to the yeast starter. Let it sit for 40 minutes. And then, of course, they, then they added the rest of their uh, bread ingredients to it. Of course, all of their salt for the bread was already in the brine. And the end result was they did indeed make a softer, less staling, um, their conclusion, overall better sensory properties for aroma, taste, and overall acceptability, just by something as simple as pre-treating your yeast like that. Wow. See, okay. I think that I'm going to have to try stressing out my, my yeast. That's why, I, that's why I wanted to pass that on. It is so simple, and yet it may very well make for one heck of a, a better yeast, uh, bread. I'm not sure. And that, and that seems like where your book will be able to do is something is it's like, it's, uh, you are, you're that bridge 
between the the literature that for some people is a little um you know, a little too much or that it's hard for them to wrap their minds around. You're that bridge between it to bring it to the the common folk so that they can make uh, their bread more delicious. Thank you. Uh, that's, and that's, 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 that's the goal, the hopefully, goal. right? Exactly. And to show you how easy it is to get off topic on the topic of fermentation, um, you know, where we were talking about yeast, stressing yeast to make a softer loaf of bread but you can also, uh, in, uh, you can also use mo- microbes to make a harder brick of brick. Harder brick uh, of, uh, as for building? For mortar. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple of articles that I found, uh, one of which is uh, open, and I'll send you these notes, one of which is open access, one of, oh, actually I only have one, the open access one, I think. But um, when you make mortar, when you make bricks, um, there's often a lot of space in between, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they have been uh, taking, for instance, Bacillus pasteuri, which I believe is a, it's a soil b- bacteria, and some of the bacilli are used for food production. But they've been putting them in them in the, in the mortar itself and then providing them with a little bit of food so that when the, the mortar sets or the brick sets – then the microbe will continue to eat the food and produce microcalcified structures that actually strengthen the mortar and the brick quite a bit. Uh, They've also used it in some places where the soil is sandy, and so it's, it's hard to build on sandy soil without putting a lot of additives in the soil to make it firmer. Uh, They've been doing the basic, same basic thing where they've been flooding it with a microbial solution and then feeding it. And it actually has been solidifying up the soil that then they build a building on top of. So the foundation before you're even building the foundation. Exactly. So it's real easy to go down some very interesting, but strange rabbit holes in this area. And it sounds like you just keep taking them. <laughs> I I have my limits. <laughs> Well, I think we're going to have to get you back on the show at some point because I, I let's talk sometime more specifically about just one topic. Let's just dive in and and definitely do it. But but again, thanks for being on the show this time and and um and I really hope someone is interested in in collaborating with you. Get out there, send an email. But again, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the chance to talk with someone on fermentation, and I uh, like you. I really hope that uh, this inspires some collaborators. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for being on. And and again, all these uh, notes will be in uh, in the show notes, and you'll find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 93. And you can also send your questions um, to email Brandon at firmup.com, on Twitter at firmup, Facebook at firmup, or anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.